This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Nee. Uh, Chris, I'm sounding much better. I feel rejuvenated. And after hanging out with you in Jacksonville for the last few days, it's football season. Like, I'm ready for it. I'm here to go. Does that excite you? Does it make you feel anything at all? I'm glad you're feeling good. I'm happy for you. Thank you. So we are through eight practices of FSU football. The genesis of this podcast basically is just going to be an old school style of Chris and I just kind of riffing about the roster, going position by position, applying things we've learned, projections. Uh, But I thought this would be a really appropriate time to do it, largely because I was going through our inventory of our OTB uh, feed on the back end and trying to get some data together for some some unrelated things. And it was showing when, when you do that shows the top 10 episodes that we've had from downloads in the last year. And one of the ones that popped up was a podcast titled, So This FSU Football Team Might Be dot 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 good question mark. And that was done after six practices last preseason camp. And it was a tepid approach of Chris and myself to start expressing, hey, we have optimism about this team. Uh, I was thinking that a seven, eight win season was realistic. Ends up being nine regular season wins. They exceeded our expectations. But you know, we, we were into padded practices at that point. We had six practices of data points to kind of start feeling things about the team. Uh, and so that was a fun pod- podcast for me to go back, listen to, and said, let's juxtapose it with this episode today that we're doing. Eight, eight practices in, but more or less kind of a similar timeline, right? Uh, and, and Chris, I'm going to start off with saying, I know this football team is good. There's no question about it. It's a matter of how good at this point. I, I think you probably feel similarly yeah there were some folks asking in the practice report yesterday about like just where we kind of feel they are versus where we thought they were entering the preseason and I feel very good about them I'm on record multiple times saying I think the offense is capable of being ultra explosive and very very balanced and very very good uh the main concern I had entering the preseason was probably twofold one safety depth young guys you know who's going to step up among that group some positive developments in that regard, and we'll get to that. And then punt return special teams as a whole. Uh, I won't say I'm feeling great about punt return special teams, but I think I feel slightly better than I did entering the preseason, and we'll get to that too. I think the the general overview, and we are going to get in the weeds here, folks. This will probably be an hour-long podcast of us going in-depth on the roster and answering some buyers to own, sponsored by the Turner Group. Questions. Uh, so so we were going to go to get into it, but like the general thought – I'm just going to reiterate what Chris said. Uh, I think I, I went into camp and I kind of try to set like an expectation of like, okay, how many wins do I think this, this program is going to have? How's the roster look? And, and I went into camp thinking that we should be viewing this team in the prism of being able to win 10 regular season games, as long as you're relatively healthy. 
it, and then you go from there, right? If you end up winning one or two more, then that changes things when you're, when you're talking about that high of a win t- total. Um, and I feel only reinforced by thinking this is a 10 win team and maybe, maybe more, who knows, but like, I don't see a ton of weaknesses to Chris's point. I think what we've seen through eight practices, I think myself five or, uh, or six after missing a few earlier on. Um, yeah. Like just, you can listen to a bunch of different podcasts or read a bunch of different insider reports from websites. I think we're all kind of seeing the same thing. And even just general people who show general fans who showed up to Jacksonville uh, practice, like it, the team just looks different as a simplistic way of, of phrasing it. But you look at the depth along the trenches you look at the body types along the trenches. You look at what they have at their skill positions out wide. The way just guys move, like uh, how 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 many guys do you think belong at the power five or power four now level, Chris, on this roster? Like ninety five percent of them. Yeah, a vast majority of it. There, I mean, there's a handful of guys that probably won't be able to crack through here in any form or fashion. But we're having conversations, for example, like defense men about a Jaden Jones and Dante Anderson, and those not to go depth chart on us, but those are guys that are depth pieces. They are well below the guys that we expect to play a majority of the snaps or even a majority of the release snaps. We're more talking about how are these guys going to develop and be the next guys up potentially further down the road and having conversations about developing depth pieces for not 2023, but 2024 and 2025 is a weird place to be where a few years ago you had concerns after you got beyond the starting 22 of how are guys going to respond and handle stuff? How are guys going to be from a depth perspective? They're just in a lot better place. Well, before we go any further, I want to give a shout out to our primary sponsor of the podcast, Chattanooga whiskey. I'm showing a beautiful bottle here uh, that we picked up. I picked up for our travels to Jacksonville to share with Chris and Dane. Uh, This was from market square liquors, a, a shop in Tallahassee, former, podcast sponsor of ours but i'll show them some love since uh since they're doing a great job hold hosting a bunch of different chattanooga whiskeys uh in the store uh and the bottle i just showed was a single barrel uh selection that is a wheat-based whiskey so instead of rye being the the secondary part of the mash bill it's wheat which makes it usually a little bit sweeter a little softer uh, except for this is 119 proof <laughs> and so it had a little bit of a kick to it Chris, what, what flavor did you get out of it almost instantly? Uh, it was actually very smooth to initially drink. It was more the afterburn, the aftertaste, where there was a little bit of a, a cinnamon type of burn, a, a brown sugar type of burn. That, mm-hmm. That's what I noticed. But I liked it. I just had one sip. It's too damn hot out right now to drink liquor and then go out and do practices. So <laughs> I, I behaved myself, but I did enjoy the sample I had. It, it will be a, a beautiful bottle to have in the fall when it gets a little cooler and some of those spicy notes that Chris mentioned will will probably go a little bit better with uh, it not being 100 degrees out. But I think this is one that hold up to a big chunk of ice. And that's for me to say Chattanooga whiskey is uh, even before we started doing they before they started sponsoring us was one of my favorite whiskey brands, definitely my favorite craft whiskey brand out there. And I'm so pleased that they've been our sponsor and um, been able to try all these different cool things beyond their their really exquisite uh, baseline of of their 111 proof, their standard bourbon and their their rye. They do a bunch of great experimental stuff like this, this barrel strength wheat. So shout out Chattanooga Whiskey. Let's get into it, Chris. Uh, this this offense is where we're going to start. The potential for it to be elite certainly exists. You bring back Jordan Travis and that's where it all starts. That's where this conversation will start as we start going across the, the position groups. J-Trav Tamini, uh, he just looks so in control mastering this offense. And not to say he's always perfect, right? But, like, 
you don't see a lot of yelling at him from coaches or a lot of them wondering what his decision-making process is, even if he misses the throw or he doesn't make the right read. He, the process seems to be very, very clean for him, and I think that gives a lot of people around the program a ton of confidence about what they have in their quarterback. Yeah, complete control, great patience. Improvisation is something that he's strong at. Um, I mean, the first team defense that FSU's been rolling out there at times to compete with him when they're going good versus good. Really, really talented bunch. And I think yesterday may have been the first time all preseason I've seen him truly get frustrated in a moment. But it was one of these where he was frustrated when the series ended, had a conversation, went out there and had a much better series the next time around. And it's not like he had a bad series. The defense just gave him some issues and did a good job of, you know, corking guys up and not allowing them to have stuff down the field. He's in complete control. The best thing that Jordan Travis does in a practice setting, and I mentioned this yesterday, he doesn't give away free candy. He's not making foolish, dumb decisions, bad passes, or gambling too much with a throw where he's giving defenses opportunities to take the ball away. He'll live to play enough play, and he'll hit enough plays at a high enough rate that that offense is very, very prolific when he's out there. He's just so good. I mean, I, we don't have to rehash a ton of it. Like, we've, we've gloated about – gloated? Claude, we've expressed a lot of of praise and uh, just pride in, in what Jordan Travis has become. Well documented his growth, uh, as we've talked about it over the years on this podcast. And um, yeah, it just he he looks like what you want a top ten quarterback or t- a team's top ten quarterback to look like. He's confident. He's poised. He's in control. He's under control. Um, What's nice, you mentioned the improvisation skills, Chris, and he's always had that, right? Like since the first moments we saw him, like that was one thing that wasn't in doubt was his athleticism, his ability to to make plays. But like as he continues to develop and what we've seen like this camp is the improv skills aren't just him running around to do something crazy like he did against Florida last year with his feet. It's him running around and keeping his eyes downfield and being able to then press the ball or push the ball downfield or even just make a check down pass. But make something to extend the play, keeping himself preserved um, and just adding total stress to the defense. So like, yeah, like that's, that's really good. It, it's something that I'm excited by. It's a good development for FSU continuation. What we saw last year from Jordan Travis, I think is very reasonable. That's a really great sign. Don't want to like undermine that. Uh, talking about the other quarterbacks, I think there's like a legitimate battle for who is QB two. I ultimately think it will be Tate Rodemaker. I thought that going into the season or into preseason camp, Nothing that I've seen leads me to believe. I think Tate has actually been pretty dang solid for the most part this camp. I haven't seen a ton of like bad, like head scratching decisions. I will say though, like I think the big storyline is is Brooklyn, right? And like it's it's him being a four A true freshman, um, being very deliberate in his decision making, but not slow with it. And so he sees it. He makes a good read. He doesn't make a whole lot of boneheaded decisions. And he gets rid of the ball quickly. And so it's this very quick yet deliberate combination of processing. And those two kind of uh, counteract each other. But uh, he's very controlled. And for someone of his age, I think he has a lot of poise, a lot of moxie. Uh, you see why FSU Chris was so excited to get him and flip him from Ohio State, why Tony Tokars and the rest of the coaching staff continued to go after him even after he didn't commit to them over the summer. Uh, I think as you like project out, beyond this year like that's what we're really looking at is what he can be and 
I don't know. Are you buying on Brock Glenn, like being a guy who's going to have a really good chance to start here in a year or two? Because I think that's, I know Luke Romanhawk's down the pipe, but like everything I've seen from Brock Glenn since spring through camp, man, like thumbs up, like it, it looks really good. Yeah, I view QB2 as a two-part discussion. One is uh, immediate QB2 if needed this year. I think that's Tate. I think they're comfortable with him. He's comfortable with the offense. He's done a fairly good job throughout preseason. He's got the ability to make some high-level throws because he does have a big arm. He's improved as a short and intermediate passer. He's done a very good job when he's rolling to certain directions and throwing. There's things that are strengths for him that he's strengthened even more. Long-term, yeah, I think Brock Glenn has everything capable of competing for and taking that job if he wants to. Uh, quick trigger, can make a variety of high-level throws. Very comfortable making very difficult throws, not being scared of making a mistake, which is refreshing for a young guy. I think that's a tough thing for young guys to balance is show that you have the ability, but also don't make a blunder that's going to hurt your team. I think Brock's done a very good job of balancing that through 15 spring practices and now eight preseason practices. Um, yeah, I like him a heck of a lot. I think he's got a real shot. Uh, you know, I've talked repeatedly in the past about I thought it was good for him to come in to push AJ Duffy. I think he's done more than just push AJ Duffy personally. Yeah, uh, people are going to ask about AJ Duffy, and like there's moments where AJ does show a live arm and it's there. Uh, I, I just I think Brock does some of the processing things and the and the quick trigger and Mike Norvell's offense, which is really important, especially at the baseline. If you're you're not Jordan Travis and you have the ability to, to scramble around and make plays. Like I, I just, I think Brock is advanced beyond AJ Duffy in terms of processing and getting rid of the ball quickly. Yeah. Duffy had a throw. I think it was on Tuesday. might've been Wednesday. It's when we we're still in Tallahassee where he hit like a 30 yarder right at the pylon. Perfect throw, put it up in the air, let the guy run under it. Nice pitch and catch high level throw. He is fully capable of doing that. The issue with AJ Duffy that I have personally watching him in a practice setting consistently, I've had this issue with him throughout the last two years. There's just too much hesitancy too often. There's times where you can throw a guy open. And he's just not willing to. And I just don't think you can play quarterback at a high level at a place like this that likes to throw the ball in the manner it likes to throw it and be effective doing that. Is he capable of it? Yes. I just haven't seen him kind of develop might not be the right word, but show the willingness to do certain things that need to be done at that position that make me comfortable thinking he's the guy that could be the next to carry the baton in life after Jordan Travis. I, I tend to agree with that, Chris. Uh, and to to finish up the, the Brock Glenn conversation before we move on, uh, just a little bit of context, like we were speaking very highly of him, still a true freshman. There was a play mm -hmm. in Jacksonville, I think the first day in Jacksonville, where they were backed up in the goal line. Uh, so about like two yards out from from their own goal line or not goal line, uh, their own end zone. <laughs> it's the opposite of being by the goal line. He took a safety. Uh, yeah. And he the took quarterback a coach wasn't very happy about him taking a safety. And the quarterback coach, not usually super heated. Uh, Tony Tokar is more mild-mannered, I think, uh, as far as coaches go. Uh, and he wasn't happy. Brock Glenn basically just ate a, ate a safety. I don't know how it's described, away. but he rolled out. It was a simple <laughs> throw it away. He was outside of where he had to be outside of. Just throw it away. And that's and, and then it's cool. It's like you see the dynamic as far as like coaching. And, and that's why I love being at practice because we get to see that stuff as much as we get to like evaluate players. We get to see Tony Tokars lose his mind. And then a few minutes later, like pulled Brock to the side and they have a constructive conversation. And like that's coaching, that's teaching, right? Like as long as you're consistent with your messaging, that's what it should look like. Uh, but but those are the things like you're going to like why – Again, the context is I'm not saying Brock Glenn is the guy you want to be playing for you as your backup to Jordan Travis immediately this season uh, because well, him, there's going to be a lot of inexperience that you're going to have to sift through, things like that. You're going to have to learn on the job. So that's not what you ideally want. Uh, you want a position to get a lot of good reps this season in practice, maybe play in four games, 
uh, if you get enough blowouts. Uh, but yeah, ho hopefully that this is more of a setting up for something in 2024 uh, where he's able to build a lot of practice reps and get that under him and, and then have a legit chance to buy for the starting job as a redshirt freshman. Yeah, on the flip side of the safety play that he had yesterday, or on, I, get, I think that was Thursday, uh, on Friday he had back-to-back -back throws to Preston Daniels that were perfect uh, to the end zone. Preston did not handle the first one, dropped it. For a young quarterback, sometimes that would be kind of one of those moments of like, oh, man, you're making me look bad, or oh, man, we should have had that one, and they don't you know, possibly respond as well. They basically went back to the same exact type of route, same exact type of play, and same player, Preston Daniel. They nailed it again, great throw, completed. I just thought it was, you know, responses, a culture word around these parts. And I thought it was a good example of that. Let's move on to running back. It's a fun group. It's a deep group. It's a versatile group. Uh, Trey Benson is Trey Benson. Like, yeah. I don't want to take for granted what what he is and what we think he'll be. Uh, Coach Coach Yak, Coach Johnson calls him fat boy now because he's a little bit bigger. But I don't think it's a bad, a bad big. Uh, there was a play. The, on Friday, Chris, where he got the ball in the flat, caught it cleanly, and then turned up field, and you're like, yep, that's that's Trey Benson. Like, that violent control speed uh, was pretty evident. But uh, let's talk about some of the other guys in addition to Trey Benson. I think we go into the year expecting Trey Benson, excuse me, to be your your, work, your workhorse, your RB1. Uh, but the rest of the group is what I'm interested in, kind of parsing out and seeing who fits in what, who fits in where, uh, what roles they'll, they'll have. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting group. Toe Philly, Lawrence Toe Philly feels like a guy that they've worked hard to build into more of a complete back. And I don't know that's necessarily needed. Uh, I think Toe Philly is very good at certain things. We, we know what he can do out of backfield as a catcher. We know what he can do in the open field. I think he's worked pretty hard to improve as an in-between tackles kind of runner, to his credit. But you also got Rodney Hill, who we're all very high on. And he had a little bit of a slow start to the preseason, but I thought he had a very good day yesterday, Friday in Jacksonville. I think he's been better this week than he was in the first few days, for example. And then Keziah Holmes has been kind of not a pleasant surprise, but he's taken a next step. He's got him. No, he's, great he's been a pleasant surprise. He's He's been fun. But I think we always knew he had some capability, that he wasn't just a guy that he threw onto the roster just to throw him on the roster. <sighs> he, he has got himself in really good shape, which is a credit to him. It's also a credit to the fact that he's now actually been in the program for more than like 10 minutes when he arrived last August. And he, he just does a really good job taking good tracks, running the ball. He is a guy that's he's a big body that also has some really fun shiftiness to it. So mm -hmm. there are moments he does stuff in practice. Uh, there was one day in Tallahassee earlier this week where he pops one to the outside and he throws a very quick and somewhat violent stiff arm to the face mask. I think of Jabril Rawls. It was definitely a DB trying to close out on the play. And it was just like, it was very almost nonchalant, but it's one of those things like in a game, those stack up those physical moments for a running back. He's a guy that we had kind of been told thought would get a handful of touches maybe per game on average. I feel like what he's done in the preseason makes you maybe recalculate that to a certain degree. That, and that's where when I, I, for, I guess I'm speaking for myself as a pleasant surprise. I thought he'd be like maybe a power back this year, but there's more than, than power to where there's, Oh, there's, there's, glimpses of him being a very complete back with some explosive traits that I didn't know necessarily existed. Uh, the stiff arm, Chris, you mentioned the one example of it. And since we saw that one, I just have to pay a little closer attention now. I'm like, Oh, this dude's thrown a stiff arm every single time someone gets near him. Like that's his, everyone has their default move. You know, uh, LT has the dead leg. Um, if you're playing NCAA 14 as much as me uh, on PlayStation three, 
the X button is a stiff arm and he's just like a five-year-old just triggering the, the X button over and over again. So anytime someone comes near him, powerful stiff arm seems to be an effective tool. I'm excited to see that in a live setting in a game to, to see if he actually embarrasses someone. Uh, last thing I'll say on the running backs, I'm very optimistic on Lawrence to Philly. Uh, I wasn't like super quick to buy some of the hype that some were like bestowing on him uh, last season. I think he's a really good, useful gadget weapon. Uh, but like what I'm seeing this camp, and we saw it a little bit in the spring too, is uh, that Chris alluded to more signs of being a complete back. I don't know if it's needed either, Chris, like with what you have in your arsenal. Like I don't know if LT is going to be a 10 carry a game guy, maybe a 10 touch per game guy with, with passes and stuff too. Uh, but what I like is he does seem to be running more. Best way I could describe it is naturally. Like I wrote about it, like talked about pad level. Like he just seems a little bit more under control as he runs in traffic now. Uh, and that's been consistent throughout preseason camp, how that manifests itself to like yards per carry and efficiency uh, during the season. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure yet. I just know, I, I feel like he's trending in a good direction and, and gives me further confidence in the running back room and the depth and the skill set and the versatility they have there. Um, and not to forget a man like CJ Campbell will play some capacity this season, special teams, gadgety stuff. I'm not entirely sure, but he's your fifth guy. And I feel really good about CJ Campbell as your fifth guy. Like it, it is a, a really good running back group with a lot of versatility. Um, it will be a strength for this team. I think that's very, very clear. I know they don't have Trayshawn Ward this season. I think you're going to miss him in some ways. I think in other ways you're going to have more explosiveness and that's kind of the trade-off. You may not have that guaranteed five to six yards of carry that you had with Trayshawn, uh, but you might have more home run hitters across the board. Um, let's talk about pass catchers, Chris. I think this is a place where we'll probably park and, and talk for a few minutes because uh, of all the new additions in addition to what's returning and what's returning is a six foot seven, 240 pound freak of nature and Johnny Wilson. And he was, maybe the most improved player in the spring. And he was already starting from a pretty high you know, standpoint and he's even better in this preseason camp. Like he just looks so under control and fluid in his movements. The catching's pretty consistent. Uh, we talk about Jay Trav kind of feeling like he's in command of things. I feel Johnny Wilson's a similar track for how he's handling the wide receiver position. Yeah, so like when I think of Johnny, I think of the fact that when I'm watching practices and they're doing seven ons or eleven ons, that you just go, "Oh yeah, throw it to John, like it's there." And uh, you know, we we wrote about the sort of quick route on the outside that he had to catch the other day, where Mike Norvell was going unstoppable, unstoppable. Uh, yesterday there was one in Jacksonville where I believe it was Yak yelled something like "Birdman open" or something like that, and they hit him in the back of the end zone. Nice high placement on the ball, but not like a jump ball. Just get his hands up and high. Something made for that man's long length and uh, catch radius. Um, Johnny's been outstanding. Uh, the nicest thing about the wide receiver group now with Johnny, and it's not like they were a bunch of slappies last year, but Keon Coleman's a special cat. Uh, quick hands, quick feet, super silky smooth, working down the field. And, man, he will go up and get it. He's a kid that – we talk about Dre Jacobs, for example. I remember in spring saying my favorite thing about Dre Jacobs is he has a desire to go get the ball when it's in the air. Keon Coleman has that same factor with an even better body and skill set from an athleticism standpoint than a guy like Dre Jacobs. When they got Keon Coleman this offseason, we celebrated it at a pretty profound level because we thought it was a really big freaking deal at the time. And I think that's just being reinforced with what we've seen in the preseason. We had heard really good stuff in the offseason as well. That was encouraging. 
and also then like a genius, you see him walk by and you're like, oh yeah, that, that, that'll play. Uh, but now you get to see the movement skills. And, and Chris mentioned this, like the, the fluidity at his size at 6'4", 215. I mean, it's, it's out there like in, in the portion of practices that are open to video, like he he's doing some work returning punts. I'm not, I don't know if he's going to be your putt returner. We're not going to talk about depth chart stuff on here, but six foot four tracking the ball and catching it like that and moving that well after like, okay, like that, that has a chance to, to play and, and be someone who can help you beyond just being a wide receiver. Speaking of like him helping out and just being beyond a wide receiver, there's a great play on Friday at Jacksonville where uh, they get the ball to a little slip to the tight end gets in the open field and there is a six foot four, 215 pound hulking presence downfield blocking and blocking really hard to the point where like after the, it ends up being a touchdown. And after the play, uh, like about five or six offensive coaches went running over to Keon Coleman at different positions, offensive line coaches. They yak was there. Like there's multiple coaches went running over to celebrate with Keon Coleman to reinforce like that kind of buy-in. Yeah. Uh, they've talked about him being very smart, Chris, right. And very like, studious um there's just there's a lot there to like about Keon Coleman I dare say he might be a more well-rounded player than Johnny Wilson I don't know about better but I think he does more things than than Johnny does Keon Coleman has plenty of ego and it's not a bad thing in his case because he is he backs it up but to his credit the most impressive thing to me through eight practices with Keon Coleman it's the way he's willing to be coached and talked to uh we've talked about when him and Jordan Travis would have a miscue or a mistake on a route they would have a conversation and they would be looking at the video board, the replay board that FSU has in their practices in Tallahassee. And they would have a good conversation. Keon wanted to know, what did I do wrong? What do I need to do right? What do we do next time? Watching him interact with Ron Dugan, Sky Lemonier, uh, Mike Norvell, plenty of others. It's impressive because it's a dude who knows he's really stinking good. He's here for six to eight months ago pro. Like he makes no bones about that. He's super direct about that. But on the flip side of that, he's also super receptive. And that that's a great quality in a dude who has as much uh, talent and capability as he does. But he also puts on display on a regular. Him and Fentrell Cypress, and I like Fentrell Cypress a ton. I think Fentrell Cypress is a 1A type of cornerback who does a phenomenal job of constant, constantly being in the right position. They have some battles. And there have been moments where Coleman has made Cypress look like kind of a run-of-the-mill guy. And that's not to slight Ventrell Cypress. That's because Keon Coleman is that ultra-impressive. Um, so, yeah, he's he's been awesome. I think we may have just taken the whole uh, turning him into something and really gone above and beyond it, but he's been really, really good. I and mean, when you he, have him also Johnny Wilson, man, that's fun. <laughs> figuring, and that's kind of the thing, like, we won't get into it, but, like, they're going to still figure out how to use those guys simultaneously together, right? And yeah. that's still, like in the infant process, like they're still figuring that out. And so like, yes, that is an exciting thing to expect to continue to develop. Um, yeah, you got guys like Winston Wright, who is phenomenal to see him back out there and look healthy moving around. He moves good. Quick. Yep, that's, um, that's Destin Hill. Who's done a very good job of kind of gravitating in being in good shape, making an impact. I think Destin Hill is another guy kind of like Keon Coleman could potentially impact on special teams as a return type of guy. Those are two guys I've liked uh, Dre Jacobs, when he's been available and going full go, he still has Dre Jacobs moments. I think he kind of proved himself in the spring. Yeah. Key thing with a guy like that, it's kind of like Darian Williamson. It's just consistently stacking good days and being able to do so. Um, 
Darian. I really like Sean Portier as well, and like yes, he's, he's another one. Another big weapon to have there. So yeah, you, you feel really, really good about the two deep. Your top basically eight at the receiver position that you have capable capability of running out there. I don't know how often FSU will go four or five wide. I just don't think they want to be that team. I think they definitely want to have a tight end out there consistently, and obviously a back as well. Um, so in the conversation of pass catchers, to me, it's kind of like you're looking for groups of three. Yeah, and, and how do you and like, rotate them? And, and how they've often. got real good options with that. Yep, I I agree. And even like the like if you have to get into like less experienced guys, like Josh Burrell has had some nice moments this preseason, and he someone who needs to just stack practices together, right? But like. Deuce Span speeds on display once in a yeah, while. Yeah, Deuce Spans is kind of an afterthought, but like there are there's a role for him and, and what he can he can do. We saw early last season before he got a little dinged up. Like there, there's there are things there. Um people want to know about like Hiking Williams because he's a five-star. He's just raw guys. Like, and that was always the thought is that he was gonna be a little raw. I know it's frustrating to hear like us talk about like a Vandravius Jacobs ahead of Hiking Williams. I'm not particularly concerned about it. It's just, it, it will be a thing that we are gonna have to evaluate as he, he just didn't come from the most polished prep program. That was always the case. We've talked about in the pod if you listened before. Like it was one of the appeals of him is that uh, it spoke to his his mindset and, and who he was and why FSU could, could go ahead and, and get him. Um, but also like yeah, he, he's going to take a little bit of time. I'm trying to think if there's just anyone else at the wide receiver room to talk about, Chris. I think we can move on to to tight ends. Uh, yeah, about those pass catchers. Conversation there starts with the big three. It's Shaheen Bell and Kyle Morlock, who are the new guys integrated in there, and then Biscuit, Marquise, and Douglas. Um, Douglas has done a great job of kind of maintaining a very solid role in the offense, to his credit, despite those two guys coming in. Shaheen Bell is truly a Swiss Army knife. He can do so many different things for you. He's a guy that I feel like they are pushing a lot. Uh, Jeremiah Byers isn't a guy who I would put in that similar category of like, I think everybody in the building knows how good they are and what they bring to the offense and the capability that they add to what you can be. But at the same time, they're not giving them a free lunch. Like they, they want them to earn everything they're going to earn. And then with Morlock, a little bit more of a traditional type of tight end. I think the nicest thing about Kyle is I feel like he's pretty consistent. I feel like day in, day out. Better too. each. Yeah. Like every week is a little bit better than the week before. There's not moments with Kyle where I go like, man, he looks overwhelmed or it, it looks uncomfortable. It's usually more so like he had a sound day or he made some really big plays. Mm-hmm. That's sort of been the range for him through eight days of practice. And then you got plenty of other dudes in that room who have a lot of experience. Preston Daniels, someone I mentioned earlier, working with Brock Glenn. Uh, you know, I think he's a spot duty guy who's more of a special teams contributor. Jackson West is a guy who obviously has gone through a lot of injury related stuff, working his way back. I'm hoping he can get healthy and contribute in some form or fashion. They like using linebackers and tight ends a lot on special teams. So I kind of look at the depth of the tight end room as potentially providing some help there. Mm-hmm. Jarrell Powers is a guy who I feel like it's kind of a crucial preseason uh, to figure out who he's going to be and what he's going to be in that room long term. I don't think he's a guy that's necessarily much of a contributor this coming season, but I do think it's sort of like the QB2 future discussion we had. I think Powers fits into that long term for the tight end room for life after Jaheim Bell and uh, Kyle Morlock potentially, but Morlock has multiple. Mor- Morlock's probably a two-year guy. Gene yeah. um, Bell's act has two years too, technically. I don't think that's the – the track that he's on. I don't think that's his plan. Just oh, come on. throwing it out there. <laughs> support the support the battles and people, and you never know. You never know what you're going to get with player retention, as we've seen. Don't discount TBE when it comes to player retention. Um, yeah, feel really good about the skill players. It's funny listening back to that podcast I mentioned earlier at the top of it, Chris, last year. We were talking about not feeling like 
great about the tight end room or that it was like a bunch of role players in their own little pieces. And I think this year it's like, you have guys who can really like create mismatches. And I think that's the biggest difference. Now you got to figure that out. Right. But like that there's there, there's tools. And and yes, and I, I'm giving a lot of thumbs up this podcast for the people watching it, but that's because this team deserves a lot of thumbs up. Um, offensive line. Let's talk about that. I test. Absolutely. It is yeah. probably 15 deep of college football bodies. That doesn't mean they're all polished or they're all ready to be playing college football. Don't mistake me there. But in terms of like big dudes, human beings don't look like that typically. And they got a handful of them. And, and that's the starting point for the conversation. Yeah, I have it sort of a tier system. There's a one to eight where the five starters are going to come out of that group. And you feel very good about the three others that are going to be potentially heavy rotational pieces. Nine and ten for me, and I would say like a Jalen Early and a Julian Armella probably are the nine and ten type guys for me. They're guys that have developed well or coming along that I know the coaching staff believes in. That I think if they got in a pinch and had to play them, they'd be comfortable playing them. Eleven and fifteen, sort of the next dudes up, the next guys down the pike. Andre Otto, uh, yeah, I loved him as a recruit, but he's a guy that like just from a he's six five three thirty ish type of body. He moves people. He's tough to move off a spot. Like, it's fun to watch him here in these first days of him in the college game. He's an example of the guys that would be that 11 to 15 group, yeah. next group up. You so, leave Jacksonville with this really small sample size of two days and pads being like, oh, they probably hit on Andre Otto. Even though there's years of developing still to go, like, you're like all right, it, physical, mean, smart, willing, fairly quick. Yeah. Uh, hey, just what? It's simple. It's simple on the O line. When they're a big body, can you get around them, and can they move enough when you do start getting around them for them to recover and deal with it? And Andre Otto has that. And the third element of it for him, beyond smarts, is that he is very strong. Uh, Wrestling background plays well there. Uh, As far as like the front group, I mean, we know Mo's going to be the center. You know, it's pretty well established. Depth chart wise, that they've tipped their hand on. Alex Atkins said that in preseason. I think Mo's look good. Robert Scott's a guy that's kind of been glued back together, taped back together, trying to make sure he gets back to being completely healthy in every form and fashion that he walks into September feeling good about his body and where he's at. They're doing that. You know, when Mike Norvell talks about we have return plan for guys, a guy like a Robert Scott who was as banged up as he was during the 2022 season is a perfect definition of a player that they're handling in such a fashion. He factors into like a, discussion of who plays probably on the edge i love jeremiah byers we all know that very well established the athleticism the ability it's all there i talked about him getting no free lunches they are definitely pushing him making him earn everything he gets but i think they love him they think very highly of him bless harris a guy who obviously got banged up last year came back late in the year he's now full go doing very well comfortable he earned a job last year for a reason like it wasn't a coincidence. Yeah. He was a kid who was capable of doing what they want to do. We liked him a lot in the spring. I think we were pretty much ahead of the curve on that as a collective. Knowles twenty four seven. Like the X's and Knowles guys loved him. I think that's only been reinforced in camp. He's you mentioned Chris. It can is this a is a big guy hard to get around if he's playing outside? And I think that's Bless Harris. Like he is really hard to get around. And yeah, yeah, he's 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 going to play a lot this year. I'm pretty convinced just watching him. Like he. There's some legitimate NFL stuff there. Inside, you got gray beard guys like Casey Roddick, you know, the chef. He's, he's big body, very good. They brought him in for a reason. Worked him a lot at center in the spring, but I think ultimately he kind of settles in probably a guard role for them. I think he's an emergency type of uh, center for them. I think center 
behind modes kind of a, you know, we're going to have a lot of options. We know Darius Washington can do what he's done in the past. Casey Roddick worked it in the spring. We've seen other guys work it. I think that's sort of one notice that they're hoping they're not have to concerning, not going to have to concern themselves with. But if they do, they feel like they have options. Meech, you know, Meech is only like eight years younger than me at this point. Uh, played a lot of football. So, like, they know what they got there with Dimitri. Keandre Jones is another cat who's played a lot of football. You know, I, I don't think I'd probably – circle him as a guy I think is probably first up, but I definitely think he's in that front eight that helps you. Darius Washington that we mentioned as well, played a ton of football, a lot of positions. I don't know that Darius starts. I certainly could. He has started a ton of games in a Florida state uniform, but at the same time, I think Darius's greatest value is that like, if you need a next guy up at pretty much any spot, he's capable of being that he's handled that in the past and he's prepared to be that. And he's as unselfish as they come. When, when we did our most important players list, like I projected in my mind, like I think Darius is probably more likely to be your sixth offensive lineman than your third or fourth. But I had him more valuable than guys who I was expecting my mind to be your third or fourth just because he can slide into being a starter, a capable starter at four or five positions. And that's immensely valuable. So it's almost to the point where like, can Darius start? Should he start? He's been pretty good this preseason, especially like his run blocking has been markedly improved. Like he is, He's creating space. He's getting out in space and he's helping move guys. But like his best value might be in my estimation that like, especially if they're going to play seven or eight players in a game, like they've kind of hinted at and the Mike Norvell's talked about his ability to go and play anywhere on the line capably, competently uh, is really valuable. And so, yeah, I, I feel really good about the seven to eight you mentioned, Chris. I think it's the best we've ever felt about it. And then like, the neck that Jalen early Julian Armella tier. Um, I think by the end of the season, like one of those two guys might be in that mix as well. And probably deservedly. So like Jalen early, as far as like looking different, I didn't know who it was at first. He's legitimately slimmed down. Yeah, he's, he's most transformed O lineman for him. And maybe Lucas Simmons, Lucas Simmons is going mm-hmm. in the other direction um, and, and adding bulk and looking great. Uh, that's a multi-year guy, but yeah, Jalen early, I think is showing like lost weight, which he had to, he was really pushed to do that. Even going into last off or last season, he wasn't always in the best shape. Uh, now he's got himself in better shape and hasn't lost a ton of power. So yeah, I think there, you, I think you're ultimately talking about 10 guys that you do feel really good about. And we've talked about that in the past. Like that's always the magic number for you is if you can get to 10, I didn't get to 10 pretty easily. Right. And then you kind of figure out the rest if you have to, but like, it's not hard to get to 10 guys who you think can contribute and be competent to some extent or another. An added bonus with the O-line is that you're you're in a position now where you can truly develop guys. Um, like there is not a rush with a Lucas Simmons who is fully capable of being as good as he wants to be. And same truthfully with Julian Armella is like, I know there were people clamoring a season ago, like why doesn't he play more? So on and so forth. I think they have plans for certain guys, and they spoke about that with Julian Armel last year. I certainly feel the same way about Lucas Simmons. And they're going to bring them along, and they feel confident that they're going to be able to develop them into what they want them ultimately to be, but they just don't need it right now. They're not They're not going to force time to speed up. They're going to allow it come naturally. And, you know, I think that's a good thing. They yeah, haven't had that yes luxury or, in a long time around these parts. Yes or no answers here, Chris. All right. Uh, did Robert Scott play as a true freshman? Yeah, I believe so. Did he have injuries throughout his career? Yeah. Did Murray Smith play as a true freshman? Yes. Has he had injuries throughout his career? Yeah. 
Did Darius Washington play as a true freshman? Yeah. Did he have injuries throughout his career? Yeah. And O linemen naturally are going to get banged up. It comes with the job. You're you're hitting each other 70, 80 times in a game, you know, on average. So it's just a natural thing. But there's a degree of like being built up to deal with that versus being thrown in a fire and having a 23 year old hitting an 18 year old. It, in the college football world of five years of strength and conditioning, it makes a world of difference. Moving on to the defensive side of the ball, that's the offense. I, I think we'll do more like season preview stuff as we get a little closer to it, but like that offense has potential to be great. Maybe yes. even I dare say, but they were pretty close to great last year. I think you could have that conversation. I think the potential to be elite this year. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm all aboard on the offense being capable of being a 40 point type of offense. Barring the clock rules, really making a drastic change with regards Which to Which we'll that. see. Um, yeah. And as long as knock on wood injury to key pieces, and you have luck there. Um, defensive side of the ball. We'll go to the tre- trenches there. Hot damn, Jared Verse has gotten better. And I think that's very, very clear. That's not a um, placebo of like, oh, I think Jared Verse, I know he's good last year. I think he's going to be better. It's like, no, he's 10 pounds bigger, quicker, hands movements and uh, – Pass rush skill sets are violent and scary almost to watch. And then you factor him in with Patrick Payton showing some glimpses of being strong. Um, Braden Fisk as my man crush dibs on that one. I, I think I was uh, dibs on it. Cause I called it really early on, even before we knew they were recruiting him as like, you him. dealt I, with him as a recruit. So you're good. And then they ended up recruiting him, but like, yeah, man, like they've got three or four guys who I think are going to be able to wreak havoc as pass rushers and are going to be able to do it in different ways. And then you just start talking to like the auxiliary pieces, like a, a Byron Turner, uh, Gilbert Edmond, hot and cold sometimes, but like his good days are actually really, really good. Uh, he's someone who's still developing, but uh, then we talk about like the trenches or the inside of the trenches and like Dennis Briggs. I know Chris is like the president of his fan club and we've been bullish on him multiple years in a row now injuries and whatnot have, have been a thing, but like we were bullish on him two years ago and he looked great before the cheap shot against Louisville. And I think he looks closer to that Chris than, than where he was even last year. He's been playing defensive tackle. Um, Fabian Lovett, like we know what he's going to be and like what he is and he's dealt with injuries the last couple seasons, but like, he is dialed in and you see how focused he is every single time he takes the practice field. Like they're just, even with the Daryl Jackson news and we've discussed that already on the podcast. Like I just, I feel very good about the defensive line and where it's at right now. I don't know if I feel like it's, I don't know if I feel like it's an elite group, but it, it might be really damn good. Yeah, I think if Daryl was in the mix, I'd go elite because his ability to be such a people mover. Where I'm at, uh, you didn't mention Josh Farmer, another very good one who's in that mix of guys you talked about. There's also a few young guys that you're starting to see more and more with. Io Tafasi has his moments where he's just a he's a pest. He's a big human who moves very fast, very violent striker. Byron Turner Jr. is a guy who I feel like has continually gotten better. I feel very confident with him as a two deep contributor on the edge for them a guy that can help them a great deal behind the guys who are super established up front there as far as your starters types. Um, trying to think of anybody else in that group. Jaden Jones is sort of a layaway guy. Yeah. There's something there. I don't expect it to be a ton this year. Dante Anderson and him are kind of the next guys up after that that first couple rotations at the edge. And you um, hope that they get a little bit more burn. Uh, inside, a guy like KJ Sampson's getting his feet wet, getting used to it. Uh, getting that special kind of love from Odell. Um, So, Uh, like, 
KJ yeah. Sampson will be good, right? Like, I, I'm yeah, pretty good at this point. I like the general group of defensive linemen they have, talent and depth-wise. They've got a lot of different body types that can do a lot of different things. Uh, Daniel Lines is another guy we didn't mention. I, I'm a big old fan of Daniel Lines. I feel like he's the most upright-looking dude when he's standing up, but he also does a really good job getting low and exploding. He's got long arms. There's just there's some uh, natural stuff there for them as an interior guy that they absolutely love. I get why people in, that work with those rooms are bullish on him being really, really good. Um, yeah, I'm comfortable with it. Ray, we forget about, and like, yeah. he looked healthy and he wasn't healthy last year. And there's, I'll tell you this, he put a couple, I won't say what specific move, I don't want to give stuff away, but like, he put a couple of nifty pass rush moves on interior linemen uh, in one on ones the other day. I was like, oh, that's, that's the, the specialist that you thought you were getting last year when he was dinged up, like he had, he will have a role and be able to help out, especially with, uh, with Daryl not being available this season. Like if, if Malcolm Ray's your sixth guy, like how good do you feel about that? He was your fourth yeah. last year. I look at the DL room as two things need to be okay. Well, three things, your starters need to be really good. Like the group that you're going to play at the predominant amount of time has to be able to really impact the game. And I think FSU has that. You have to have the depth and versatility of the group to do different things. With what FSU likes to do defensively, where they show some unique fronts, they mix it up, they're going to try to make it a little – they're going to change the picture on you. That's a goal of all defenses, but FSU certainly going to do it. I think they have, they have the, a they variety have of guys to do it. that. Yes. And I think the third thing is when you're playing a game where you're playing four quarters, 60 minutes, and every snap matters, and you're playing 80 snaps, and guys are dog-ass tired – do you have the depth and rotation where you can trust the fourth, fifth, sixth guy up on the interior or the third, fourth, fifth guy up on the edge to go and make a play if it has to be made? I feel pretty good about where they are with that. There is some degree of the last guy on those number counts for each of those spots having to kind of come along and develop. Right. But I feel like they got guys that are working towards that in a positive manner. The depth is very good. We. We inherently, I'm speaking for Chris here, but trust the development part of this yes. program too. So like, even if it's not there today, and I'm not saying it is or isn't, I'm just saying like, if we have question marks on feeling great about it, I bet you we'll probably feel pretty good about it by the end of the season. It's typically how things, have you noticed, Chris? Like I know each year has had its, I thought about this the other day, each year has had very like, obviously different outcomes, three wins, five wins, nine wins, or 10 uh, with the bowl game. But every single one of those seasons, one thing that's been common is they've played their best football at the end of the year. Yeah, they tend to get better as a football team. Some of that's also, like last year, they got banged up pretty bad early in the year, and it affected the middle of the season. They got a little more healthy in the back end. Yeah, and other teams got unhealthy. But I think they're like their GPS data and stuff will point to like they they get faster as the year goes on and, and they develop. So. Um, yeah, defensive line group, I think we feel really good about, even with the Daryl Jackson. We would feel great about the defensive line if you had Daryl Jackson. Still feel good about it. Um, it just means you need more more luck, right? That's one less injury that you can afford to really compete at the highest level. I think it probably impacts you against the LSUs, Clemsons of the world. If you do uh, find yourself playing in a really meaningful game in December, um, yeah, that's kind of where I think you you you, you miss Daryl Jackson. Sands like major injuries among the line, but um. Still, the, the group is really good. It's versatile. I think there's three or four guys who can get after the quarterback at a high level on this group. You can play games, change the picture, like Chris said. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be good. Uh, linebackers, um, 
man, Chris, you were so you were so still there. I thought you were frozen. I was, I was kind of rambling to see if you were <laughs> to see if you were moving or not. That was impressive. That was about 10 seconds of you not moving or blinking. Uh, linebackers, we know what Tanner Bethune is. We know what Kane DeLoach is. We know what DJ Lundy is, and DJ Lundy continues to look good. Omar Graham, we think will probably, like coaches have said, they've invested a lot of time in him. He'd be the fourth guy. So I don't think we have to belabor like a ton on that group. I think we know that it's like yeah. a solid group. Uh, let's talk real quick about the young pieces. And you know, we don't know if these guys will contribute this season, but more as we kind of like look at the roster outlook moving forward, a couple of the young pieces I think are worth stopping and talking about for a minute or two. Yeah, Justin Cryer, all-out effort guy, son of a coach, works really hard. For someone who walked in here basically as practice began, he's done a good job handling it. And he's, he's earned some praise, and he's had some really good plays at moments. Blake Nicholson's a different kind of athlete in that room. He's got to get bigger, more physically developed, and that will come with time. But, like, the athleticism, the ability to trigger, that was a Brendan word for you because I like to say triggers really well, which he does, stands out. Um, you know, I have not noticed Dylan Brown turn a whole heck of a lot, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Did you read my insider, my newcomer report? No. I wrote, to be totally honest, I haven't observed him, but I just basically said the exact same thing you did. Um, yeah, I, mean, I just, I haven't. Um, who else is a new face in that? DeMarco Ward, who was here in the spring. Uh, yeah, he's, he's been up and down in the preseason, and I don't think all of it's just solely on his play. I, um, I got a name for you. Who? Brian Courtney. Yeah, it, it's funny. Courtney, first few days, it, it looked pretty rough, that linebacker, yeah, I'm going to be it honest. Did. It did. Yesterday in Jackson was by far the best he has looked this preseason. He triggered a few times, got down. He did an excellent job on like a stretch element play of getting in the backfield, disrupting the back, but also staying with him as he staggered him out towards the sideline. And he kept himself squaring in front of him. He did the job as it's supposed to be done. There's a lot of development that's going to have to go in there. To some degree, you almost hope you recruit over it, and that's not a slide on Brian Courtney. It's just how you want that room to be recruited. But, like, yeah, yesterday was a moment of, like, yeah, maybe this might actually work. Like, he is a big-body athlete. And, again, sort of similar tight end depth. A decent amount of these guys at linebacker we're talking about, I think, might help some on special teams. And that's, I think, the appeal of Brian Courtney playing more linebackers. He probably becomes a better special team player uh, as a result. Let's talk about the secondary, and I think this is – one of my favorite position groups to watch in the preseason and one of my favorite ones to vet because I think there's so many moving parts of when you talk about the veterans returning, transfers, newcomer types, position changes with Kevin Knowles at safety, um, and then the newcomers and, like, the actual true freshmen. So, like, there's a lot of, like, trying to figure out, okay, what fits where, how do we view it? I think the overall takeaway, though, is, like, they are going against a really good wide receiving core and they are holding their own. Uh, let's yeah. start with, with Fenshaw Shippers, Chris. I think in terms of like, I don't want to. Mm, okay. So we exited spring with talking about Fenshaw Cypress as like a guy we thought would be capable, right? Like, but he was also ranked as one of the top five transfers in the country. And I didn't necessarily quite see that. Now with him having a full off season and seeing him in preseason camp, I now see why he was rated as highly as he was. And I, I think he's a CB1 type of guy for you. I didn't know that. And I think that's a development that we've talked about, but like it's a significant development that probably deserves a, a ton of, of attention on our end. When DB coaches talk to their players at their position beyond saying, go get the ball, be aggressive, finish plays, things of that sort, they usually hone in on three keywords, techniques, fundamentals, and play to your keys. 
Ventral Cypress is phenomenal at those three things. He plays a position exactly how it's coached to be played. He's always competitive for balls in the air. He always uses a sideline on sideline routes as an extra defender, squeezing guys towards it. He doesn't give up releases easily. He does a good job of kind of staying in the hip pocket, getting underneath. He just plays a position wholeheartedly how it's supposed to be played. Renardo Green, to his credit, has developed into a guy who also does that in an extremely good manner. And Renardo Green is ultra aggressive towards the ball. Renardo Green, probably of all DBs, does the best job of playing through the end of the play. Uh, in the sense of where if like a guy catches the ball, say Johnny Wilson catches it, high points it. Renardo's not going to be able to high point it because, well, Jesus liked Johnny more than he liked Renardo and made Johnny taller. But when Johnny's bringing that thing down, Renardo's going to try to fight through the ball, knock it loose, jar it loose. He does a great job of doing things like that. And that's a credit to him developing as a player position. Feel great about those two living life on the island. AZ Thomas is a guy who's been much better in the preseason than we saw in the spring. We came to find out he was banged up in the spring. He definitely looks healthy. It's made a difference. Feel really, really good about that. Talked about the safeties. We know, you know, Dent and Brown are kind of the guys that have been wholeheartedly pushed to the forefront. KP, Kevin Knowles moved back there and is a very good addition to give you a top three. We know they like having three guys they can rotate to some degree back there that they can rely upon that are veteran types. Feel good about that. Whole lot of young guys in the mix there. Jabril Rawls, I really like how he competes in practices. Uh, Conrad Hussey, Edwin Joseph, even though I confuse their numbers constantly. What number's which? Let's stop right no, now. Oh, no, no, we're not doing that. Hussey Conrad Hussey is... Joseph's further down the hill. Hmm. Um, okay. Hussey's 12, correct? Chris has got it. I think I'm think getting there. I'm getting we've there. We've trained it. There's been a lot of at-bats and that's um, testing Chris. He's got it. But, man, Hussey yesterday in Jacksonville, he didn't – he got two picks. Only one of them counted because, you know, when I guess they rolled, he landed out of bounds, which I believe he did. It was pretty much right in front of me. It looked like he had – but, man, his closing speed, his ability to get to the spot for the one where he landed out of bounds, it, it, it caught your attention. Like, it was one of those moments where you go, oh, yeah. Like, you knew he was a good athlete. You knew what he was capable of. We talked a lot when he committed. And even as we were talking leading up in the summer about safety positions up, that he had the athleticism his, necessary. His it, it wholeheartedly showed in that moment. You know whose ball skills and range remind me of? It's going to be a former Gator. Um, but they've got a, got a little bit of that to him. Uh, I don't know. Who are you going with? Reggie Nelson, former first-round draft oh, eraser, right? Mm-hmm. That was the eraser. Uh, that the kind of range and athleticism uh, very much showed the the blue chip recruit. I think from a skill set perspective. Yeah, Ashlyn Barker, phenomenal at playing down. Uh, yeah. There's some linebacker elements to his play that definitely stand out as a guy who may potentially develop into that as the body continues to mature. Which they but always said, like recruited him with that being a possible. Yeah, like, yeah they've talked about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I like him at safety. Um, greedy Vance, you know, he greedy is greedy. He he's a pest. Um, and I use that in a loving way, but he he gets after the ball, he stays on people. He's the kind of guy that like, you know, like we talk about Dre Jacobs and uh Keon Coleman attacking the ball in the air as receivers. Greedy Vance is the kind of guy that almost attacks a receiver and the ball in the moment of the catch. Like, he just does such a good job of making it, like, uncomfortable for guys to catch in tight spaces. And that's a credit to him. Um, Greedy's worked hard, too. He's become a better football player since he's stepped He looks quicker. I think what we saw at him at the end of last season is kind of where he's picked up, which he was yeah. very good at the end of last season. So J-Dub, another guy having a very good preseason. Yeah, um, very confident in himself and, yeah. and deserved confidence, I would say. I think Pat's been a beneficial thing for that room. Uh, Coach Sertan, I think he's done a good job. I think the guys like him. I think they listen well to him. I also think that 
that group as a whole has some really good leadership to it. Uh, to Shaheem Brown's credit, I think Shaheem's come a really long way as like an outspoken guy who takes well to coaching. And he worked hard to do a little bit with his body this offseason. He did a good job with it. You know, Keem Dent's been around the block for a long, long time. Bernardo's a guy who's taken to coaching really, really well. I think Fentrell's a bit of a quiet cat, but, like, I think guys understand that he's about the business, and he does a very good job of that. In general, I just I, – I like the way that group's composed. Like, I feel like they're rowing in the same direction as a whole. Um, Just try we, – we went over a bunch right then. Uh, there's, there's so much to get to with that group. Uh, One name that you didn't mention, and I know you – your how you feel about him so uh it's easy to forget about when you're talking about 10 10 to 12 different guys Quindarius Jones true yeah. freshman quarterback he is um Chris I think you described him as pesky the other day um I mean Kevin Little should probably beam in right now because he's officially the president of that fan club yeah because he came to the elite camp last year where he earned the offer and basically committed to it yeah Kev showed up hates covering recruiting doesn't think it's valuable uh goes helps us out his first like month on the job says, oh, that dude's really good. And uh, Kev deserves a round of applause for that. He now has replaced the Tate Rodemaker Heisman trophy Photoshop, crass, poorly done Photoshop with uh, Kondarius Jones over uh, over the, the Heisman. Yeah. Um, length, he is, length and athleticism yeah, is what's he, beautiful about Quindarius. He, he does a phenomenal job of being able to play with anybody from an athletic standpoint. And to go with that, he is a uh, – competitive like he mm-hmm. does not back down um there's times where he's overly competitive where i think he gets out of position and coverage because I, of it but like i uh, think the johnny wilson bomb that fsu put up on socials a few yeah. days ago i believe that was caught on quindarius yeah and that was just like poor situ- situational awareness not a great idea of like that was the one place he couldn't allow the guy to get leverage on him and he allowed it and like that's why he's a true freshman and like everything we talk about the rookies is with the context and the lens of like can they play this year? Maybe. How comfortable are you? And, and when can you play them? Uh, but from a skill set and like ma- mental makeup standpoint, like he he will be a good player for FSU. And I, I think he might be like a cornerback one guy in a couple of years. Like he's yeah. he's good. Um, you you mentioned uh, Edwin Joseph briefly. I think sneakily he might be the best of that DB group. It's just he is in the right place consistently. They have him playing slot corner, which they talked about. It's a very hard position to play. He plays it at a high level. He's physical. He forces quarterbacks to make really difficult throws on him. And he actually like forces the throws to be bad throws because he's in such good coverage. You go long or you try to put it to where only your guy can get it and it becomes a less efficient throw. And like uh, the length, the foot speed, the mental makeup there as a slot corner, I, I, I don't think he's – we can't talk about depth chart stuff. And this is just a solely like just a gut feeling. I think he has the best track to be someone who's playing by the end of the year of the, the true freshman. He just, there's a lot there that I like. It's not super flashy. It just, it looks like what I wanted a nickel corner to look like modern football. I think I'd take Hussey in that debate, um, which is crazy because I really like the top three safety guys. Oh, we haven't talked about KJ Kirkland. Yeah. And he might, he might be the most ready of the safeties. The There's so many DBs. It's funny, when I talked to Pat the day before the preseason started and did the interview with him, I forgot Greedy Vance wholeheartedly as we were going over, guys. And I realized after the fact, but I wasn't going to go double dip because he wanted to get out of the room like every other coach. And I like, wanted to wrap up the day. To be, to be fair, I was I was the COVID king that week, and you and Brett were uh, were scrambling to try to get 
uh, everything so, you could that day. It's funny whenever you discuss the DBs, it feels like you try to remember everyone and then you forget somebody and then you realize like, why did I forget that guy? But yeah, KJ Kirkland, uh, sort of in the Barker, Hussey, Kirkland, like those three being discussed as a group. I feel like Kirkland is the perfect blend of the middle of those two. He's a really good athlete, not quite as athletic as maybe Hussey. Hussey's pretty freaking special athlete. But he's also kind of big like Barker, um, bigger than Hussey. So, like, he's kind of the smack dab guy in the middle, and I like him. And they like him. He, he's he's a mature kid, and very hard worker. And he, he's been he, here for a while, too. He's yeah. been here since the spring. He got, like, 10 spring practices in before he got banged up a little bit and missed a little bit at the end there. I think that's been talked about. I think I'm fine there. I don't think I'll be getting a phone call. Um, it, was, it was in the spring at this point. <laughs> and I think he talked about it recently when he talked in Jacksonville. Yeah, but he fine. he's a guy that's, like, he he's comfortable. And he's credited a lot of guys in that room, the older guys, of doing a good job of working with guys in that room. And I think that's the biggest change for that room as a whole is that it just feels like, not that they didn't like each other or something, but that they just all work really well together, that they are truly a very bonded group. It's almost like the running back room where everybody wants everybody to eat and do well, and, like, dudes understand their roles, and they're good at it. And that's like, what the DB room feels like. Kevin Knowles constantly coaching up Conrad Hussey. Yes. And, and Kevin is – and they've talked about that he's playing more safety right now, and he probably can play a bunch of positions this year. But, like, that's a new position for him, and he is – taking someone who's like gunning for his role. Like Connor Hussey is someone that has the talent to be your third safety this year. If he figures out the playbook and like, and KP's co constantly coaching him up constantly. Like it is there. Dane wrote about this in the practice report that today was a great observation that Hussey on Thursday had an interception, but he was in the wrong place and KP's watching it. And even as the play is like developing, he's like kind of putting his hands over. So like, Oh, like frustrated. That he's not doing the right thing. Everyone's going and giving Hussey uh, high fives and patting his helmet after the interception. KP was having none of it because uh, in, in Kevin Knowles is KP. Um, and he was having none of it because it was, it was the process was poor. The result was good, but the process was poor. Compare that to that, the interception that he had the other day when he went across the field or the near interception that Chris mentioned earlier, where he showed this fantastic range to go all the way across the field to get a pick. KP was like, okay, that's what it's supposed to look like. But, yeah, it was probably for the first year and a half or so the most immature room uh, on the roster. I don't think that's like harsh to say that it was there was guys getting suspended and a lot of guys have transferred out now from that group. And uh, it was a problem for them for a while. It, it does not feel that way. You know, we're early games haven't been played yet. Right. But it doesn't feel that way anymore. It feels like a nice, cohesive group, even watching uh, Pat Sertan and and Adam Fuller interact with each other. I saw Pat said something that made Adam Fuller laugh during practice. Adam Fuller laughed during practice, Chris. Um, he probably doesn't want that out there. I don't think he wants people knowing that he he'll, he, he can giggle and uh, enjoy enjoy himself while he's coaching. But, you know, I like what I've seen there. It's it's encouraging. So collective sum of, of the pieces on defense feel very good right now. Uh, special teams. Kicking game has not been problematic. I think Jacksonville on Friday was their worst day where they both had live kicks hit uh, both oh, right. two, yeah. uh, hit the field goal post. To be fair, that's a really weird situation for kicking. Uh, it's not a standard field goal post. It's like behind a fence and it's not in the end zone. It's bizarre. Um, in general, kicking has been very, very smooth this preseason. Been far better than it was during the spring. We'll obviously see what happens when bullets fly and it gets more live and um, – 
but, but yeah, uh, Ryan Fitzgerald and Tyler Keltner have both been pretty good. I think they've been good for each other. I have less anxiety about that than I did going into the season. Uh, and, and that's a good thing. So I feel like Ryan has struck the ball very well consistently. Yeah. And like, I, oh, it's been very good consistently. And that with kickers, it's like a golf swing is how it's always been described to me. I don't know diddly about kicking, um, but it's always been described as like, is it consistent? Like each time day over day. And it has been for him in general which is a good thing because there has been times in the past where one day he would strike it really well. Other days it kind of felt like he was kicking knuckleballs. Um, so yeah, that's the other thing. The other thing on special teams, and we've talked a bit about a punt return. We mentioned Coleman Hill, LT Lawrence Tofilly is another guy who's worked there. I think AZ Thomas has gotten some work there. Um, <clears throat> Dre Jacobs is another guy that's gotten some work there. They're going to have to figure it out. Um, I presume scrimmage first scrimmage for the record is Sunday evening. Sunday evening. I presume yeah. they'll try to have some live reps of that again. Those will be the moments to help them sort it out more and more. If I'm picking a favorite just from watching it personally, I'm leaning towards four or seven Coleman or Hill. Yeah, I was against the idea of a six foot four punt returner uh, a week ago, and I've kind of come off that opinion to where I, I like the way Keon Coleman attacks the ball, also the way modern punt returns are. You're really not getting a whole lot of room now, and so like. Brendan likes the fall forward theory with Keon Coleman. I like the if he falls forward, you get half of what you want already. So if he makes one guy miss and falls forward, it's a successful, successful return. So we, we will see. Uh let's play a little bit of Bayer Sonone. We've already got an hour here. Don't want to go too far. By the Turner Group. It's by the Turner Group. It is by the Turner Group. Uh Colin Amy Turner, FSU grads, uh big FSU fans. And they do an amazing job with helping people find their dream homes or sell their non-dream homes. And they do it throughout Central Florida, but really throughout the state of Florida, they continue to uh, set up shop here in Tallahassee and get stronger roots uh, here in Gainesville as well. So they're expanding. They do a ton of business despite being a smaller agency because of how diligently they work. Uh, super well-connected Colin is. Uh, very creative. He watches Instagram and just the way he goes ahead and, and networks and, and makes things happen. So uh, yeah, if you're, I, I know it's a, a weird time with the markets kind of shifting, uh, but if you want to get an idea of what it would look like, what the Turner Group could do for you, if you don't have someone who you feel confident in helping you find your dream home, give the Turner Group a chance and see where they can help you out. Reach out to Colin at 407-403-8546. You can email them at getstartedattheturnergroup.com. Mention on the bench, let them know that we sent you. That'll help us out and let them know that our our word is spreading, uh, and apparently it is because they are having people starting to to tell them they've heard about it on the podcast. So uh, once we get them to to actually buy or sell a home through OTB, it'd be the house that OTB built, and that just only feels right, Chris. Let's get into it. Uh, go kind of rapid fire here. Buyer Sunone, this is from Doc Holiday 11. With the absence of, of Daryl Jackson, Braden Fisk ends up first team all ACC by year's end. I'll buy. I think Brandon Fisk is going to stuff the stuff the stats this year. I'm with you. I'll buy. Uh, next up from Newton Knoll. Board insiders exist. Um, I'll, I'll buy. There's people that know things out there. I'm not one of these people that likes to always shoot down that people know things. What irks me in that realm is when it's just the telephone game. Yeah, if you're going to call it, call it. Uh, I think board. I'll buy. Board insiders exist. There are a lot of people on our message board who are very knowledgeable and plugged into the FSU community. I think the most knowledgeable ones are the ones who don't advertise it. And, and I think that's that's uh, my caveat to that question. Um, hmm, let's see. 
The Apex, no buy or Sinone. Fabian Lovett is on the field for the first defensive snaps of the season. Bye. Bye-bye. The expectation is for him to play against LSU. Mike, Mike Norvell has had – the man who does not like talking injuries has had two instances here through eight days, well, three including the pre-preseason practice interview, of talking about the team being very healthy and return plans for guys. He is telling you guys without telling you guys about certain guys. How about the Jacksonville media getting Mike all nice and uh... – Next question. <laughs> Byer Sedone from uh, NRG Knoll. Byers known Dane. <laughs> I'm gonna known Dane because that, that man got torched in Jacksonville. I know Dane would complain about my driving if he was here because of one instance at an agricultural way station. Two, okay, two, maybe two, two. In, two instances. Um, but like we tried, you tried to tell him to put on sunscreen. We're wearing hats out there. Nope, he walks out there. The only part of the upper half of Dane's head that's white currently is where his strap of his name tag was the rest of it pure red so i'm selling dane dane's gotta he's gotta figure these things out it's all good we were all once young no i love dane 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 is a uh is a keen football mind um i'm buying dane all day every day um uh, let's go down here brandon fist question brandon fist question uh nola 89 nation buyers to know norvell runs your butt, my butt, over before the end of the year. Um, <laughs> it seems to be trending that way. Also known that I don't think he'd want to put himself into an injury risk for somebody like you. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> uh, Big Buford, no. Byers to known. LSU's DBs are in for a long night in Orlando. I'm going to buy that. I, I, I'm very optimistic about this wide receiving group. I'll buy in a sense I'm optimistic about FSC's receiver group. I'll also honestly share I've not yet dived in wholeheartedly on LSU. Apparently LSU's DBs are kind of a mixed bag right now. I think that's they feel really think, good about their front seven. I think the back group not as much. Yeah, I think they were the group going into camp, kind of like we've talked about safeties, where they've kind of talked about that group being you got to figure out the pieces who's good. They had a pretty bad injury already in that group too, from what I understand. FSU Knowles nine oh two one oh. We will be able to run outside zone this year. First off, you have to say buyers to own. Uh, secondly, they ran FSU ran outside zone at an elite level last year, so. Bye. Yeah, bye. I mean, it, they don't love it like they love counter, but they still love it. Uh, wild at heart, no buyers known. One of the future O line of, wait, one of the O line of the future starts by in a year. Example given: Simmons, Armella, early. Uh, Sinone for me, but I think rotation starting S reps is a buy. Yeah, I'm gonna Sinone it because my hope is the injuries don't pile up to the point where you got to get there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it, it's a long ways to get there, and it's not an indictment on the young guys. I think it's indicator of the depth that we've talked about earlier in the pod. Uh, Georgia Southern Knoll, Byerson Known, sponsored by? The Turner Group. Florida State has a better chance of flipping Jeremiah Smith if Brive Hartline leaves. They do a flipping JoJo Schrader if Miami has a disappointing season. Um, all right, you ready for this, Chris? Yeah, go ahead. You take it first. Bye. And here's, here's the reason. I feel that FSU has done exactly what it needs to do to flip Jeremiah Smith if Heartline becomes unstable with Ohio State. I, I, that, I'm not even including like the JoJo Trader stuff. I don't necessarily feel great about – I thought JoJo Trader was going to commit a couple – a month back, two months back to Florida State. Um, I feel like you. he's more of a wild card to me to where I'm not going to be able to predict that one confidently. I think the track that FSU is headed for Jeremiah Smith 
has some shades of the Hakeem Williams recruitment, obviously at a higher level, um, but where he keeps showing up, he's developing a good relationship. If Brian Hartline leaves, that's a, that's a big if. Uh, if that happens, I think FSU becomes the front runner for that based on everything we have right now here, knowledge-wise, on August 12th. Yeah, I, I, I don't love the question structure. I think FSU likes both of those guys, but I think Jeremiah Smith is sort of a K.J. Bolden type for them where they are – wholeheartedly all the way invested in that recruitment and laying, you, you like to say they're buying lottery tickets with each visit. I think that's a nice way of phrasing it. I, I think FSU is fully invested in trying to position themselves as good as possible to maybe eventually somehow close that. Do I think Jeremiah Smith flips? I don't, but if yeah. circumstances there change, I think FSU has positioned themselves extremely well. I think that's fair. Uh, Baker boys, 05, Byers and you feel better about safety as after seeing the freshman in fall camp? Bye. 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 Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I I was high on Hussey before he stepped on campus, but like the last two days in Jackson, I thought were really, really good for him. And yeah. I, I, I like Barker and I like uh, KJ Kirkland. I, I feel like I, I almost don't view KJ Kirkland as a new safety. And the kid's only been here in activity for about 18 practices. So who, who, what's the name? Lincoln. I was the name of the U we talked about the other day, the UAB safety. Jalen key. Jalen key. Um, remember the freak out when they did not get Jalen key to be their third safety. Um, and it was a context moment of like, Hey, it's the third safety. Yes. Important would be really nice to have, but was not the end of the world in our estimation. If you lost in Alabama, seeing what they've gotten from their safety group among the, the freshmen. Like, yeah, there's more variables there because they're younger, but I, I feel, and with Kevin Knowles into the mix as well, I feel pretty good about the group. But I still wish that the top end of the group was like, I feel, wish I wish I felt better about Akeem Denton, Shaheen Brown than I do at this moment. But I don't feel bad about them. I, I feel fine with everything else around them. I just, that's what I'm more concerned of at this point. It's the top end of the group than, than the depth, which I don't think was the case going into spring. Does that make sense? I asked Norvell yesterday at the beginning of his press conference about the young safeties. And he talked a little bit about having confidence in that group and it impacting some decisions that they had with the portal. Obviously they did pursue some in the portal. Jalen keys, a name we've brought up. There were one or two other safeties, but they weren't just essentially trying to land the safety to land the safety. They, they recruited a certain few that they liked, but they weren't, Desperate, I guess that's a good way of describing that. A Roomba ate my feet. <laughs> Buyers are known brought to you by the Turner Group. FSU's short yardage goal line offense rushing attack will be greatly improved this season. Uh, bye. I'll More buy. I, I think it was a focus of efforts during the offseason, both from a recruiting standpoint and the type of players they got who can move the ball in that position. Buyers known from Bad, Bad Bean. Dane refuses sunscreen the next time you offer him. To be fair, he took it. On Friday, he accepted the sunscreen. He applied it in a really slow manner that irritated me. Um, not Dane knows that it irritated me, so I'm not saying anything he didn't know. Um, it was like this, Chris. It was like little, just just little daps. Yeah. And after like four minutes, I was like, well, what? we got practice going. What, what's happening? I mean, Dane's like me. He does not like the candy-coated shell feeling that sunscreen brings about in life. No, but I also, I also don't think he very much enjoyed getting torched on her. I, I got pet peeve, Like, when people are like, oh, I don't like going to the hospital. Well, no shit, man. You think anyone <laughs> enjoys going to the hospital? It means something bad is happening or has happened. Like, no one likes it. But you just, sometimes you got to do things to do things. Sunscreen will help keep you out of the hospital. No one likes feeling yucky. 
I understand why people don't like me on the podcast. Savannah Bandana, Bandana, uh, Byers Sinone, Destin Hill will end the regular season with more receptions than Winston Wright. Sinone, Sinone. Yeah, I think I'd Sinone it too. But I, I think both, I think will, both play. will be impact players. Uh, finishing up here, we have three pages to get to this, but we're just we're already at an hour and fifteen minutes, and most of you probably checked out. Byers Sinone, we averaged more than forty points per game this year. Uh, Chris, you, you mentioned 40 point. I'm, I'm right at that number. I, I do want to see how the clock roll impacts. I think the ACC official that spoke at kickoff said he expected like seven to eight less plays per game. I can't recall if that was per team or total plays. Um, I think FCC is going to hover right at that number. Was it 40 or more? Cause if it is, I'll buy If it's more than 40, I'd probably say no. <laughs> I think it was more than 40. Um, Hmm. All right. I'm on page two here, skimming through, skimming through. J-Rod, 31, Byers Sinone. Is kicking field goals and fielding punts important to you? It is. Very yes. important to me. I feel a little bit better about one of those um, right now. Chevy, no play. Byers Sinone. Our roster can stack up against the elites like Georgia, Michigan, Bama, and Ohio State. I would Sinone that. I think they're just on that next tier after that at this point. They're those schools have more multi-year development players within their system who are high-level impact reserves. FSU's done a good job of kind of filling in the middle space with transfers and building a really good roster. It is FSU's roster is capable of competing with those teams. I just don't – not to go oh, dabble on us, but if they played 10 times, I don't know how I'd feel about FSU's odds of being the victor more often than not. I, I do remember thinking that – I guess bye because I think you could beat them um, – I remember thinking the Keon Coleman edition took it from like 1% or one out of 10 to maybe like three or four out of 10. Like I think you could, I think if, I think you have a, a path doing so that could be uh, replicable. Uh, if that makes sense. Last question here. This is a good one. A good hypothetical fun way to end this show. In my opinion, uh, Maddie slice asks buyers to know and sponsored by one more the time. Group. Woo-hoo! 2023 FSU would beat 2022 FSU by at least two touchdowns so before you answer think about it chris fsu 2022 did not lose a game by more than 10 points right was the clemson game the even that got within a score was it wake forest that was about 10 points either way everything was within a score i think um so fsu when it lost did not get blown out i just known it um for the exact reason you're speaking of i think last year's team was good at kind of understanding game control and keeping themselves in a position to be competitive, if not win pretty consistently. But the, this year's team is capable of being really, really stinking good, um, would, especially offensively. And I do think they're better defensively than they were last year too. Let's think about it in this vantage point real quick before you give your final answer, Chris. Would 2023 FSU, as we see it right now in camp here, be the best team that FSU faced in 2022? So better than Clemson, better than LSU, better than a healthy Oklahoma, healthy-ish Oklahoma. Uh, Wake NC State, I guess. Uh, better than LSU when they played LSU, yes. Better than LSU at the end of the year. I don't know. LSU is a team that improved well, as that LSU year. LSU didn't necessarily play. I mean, they got better as the year went on. They kind of ended. They ended with a shitty game against a and They beat a, the crap yeah. out of a bad Purdue team in the or a. a but I thought, they, I thought they were a team that kind of understood who they were better. Yeah. As the year went on, then they I, they were 
figuring some things out when they sure. played FSU. For year one coach. Yeah. Um, uh, but would they beat Clemson? Like would this year's team beat yes. last year's Clemson? Yeah, I think so, right? Yeah. So that's but two touchdowns line. is a lot of points. Yeah, I think 10 points is what I would set the spread up. Which if you're that's 10 points better per game, that's that's gonna be one or two more wins. So it's a good team. We feel good, Chris. We feel good. Feel great. Feel great. All right. So for Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. Thank you to our sponsors, Chattanooga Whiskey and the Turner Group. This has been On the Bench. Thanks, everyone, for listening, for watching, for supporting, for playing. Byer Sinone, uh, please, five-star reviews on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, thumbs up, like on the YouTube channel, all that good stuff. Thank you for checking out Knowles 24-7 and for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later in the week. Bye.